Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we've got a wonderful time coming up right now around the world. And can I encourage you, the man of God who's going to come up here and share and invest into us is a man that has invested into us even before you might have started attending here. He's part of this story. He goes back right from the start when Pastor Emma and I arrived here in Canada. He has been at work for us as a church. Uh, he heads up the, the fellowship that we're a part of, the PAOC, the Pentecostal Association of Canada. He's the superintendent here for the BC Yukon region. And I know that he loves us. And I know this because he's been fighting for us since the start. And so as he comes and shares, and as he comes and invests, would you put your hand together and just give a little bit of honour as Pastor Ken Russell takes the stage. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having uh, Brenda and I here today. I think I'm on. There we go. Uh, such a privilege to, to share and worship with you. I just felt the presence of God here. And for those of you who are watching online, I, I can't imagine what that must feel like uh, as God is everywhere. He's in your living room. He's here in this auditorium. And he's able to work among us no matter where we are. Isn't that true? So Pastor Ben and Pastor Emma have been just such good friends and the other pastoral team that come around them here. Um, when we first met, I don't know if you guys remember the day we first met. It was at a, at a leadership uh, retreat and uh, I had mentioned the, the tagline that I've been using for the last 15 years or 14 years in this role. Whenever I sign off an email, I always sign it off with the, um, the words, we're better together. And I really mean that. I mean that we are really better together. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be lone rangers. We do things so much more effectively with such strength and anointing when all of us get together and we become part of the family of God. Don't, isn't that true? So you're part of a family of churches. There's 213 of us here in BC in the Yukon and 1,200 of us across Canada. And they're all different. They all, like fingerprints, aren't the same. And so I'm just so glad that God's got you here on the North Shore. I'm glad that he is uh, working through you and, um, and able to use your life to make a difference. So glad you're here. Thanks for allowing Brenda and I to be here. This is, uh, I don't know if you can see her. Certainly if you're online, you won't be able to see her. But this is Brenda. She's been my one and only girlfriend and one and only wife. That's true. I met Brenda when she was 14 years old. I was 40, so that makes her 29 now. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> she is 20. No, she's not 29. But I am 55 if you want to do the math. <laughs> okay. So um, we, we were high or junior high school sweethearts. Then I went away to university for four years, and I came back and married her in 1983. And then we have been married all the way through. Now, I, I say eight, 38 years, but she keeps correcting me. She said, Ken, that's actually 36. Is that right, Brenda? I was testing you. Almost 37. We're coming up October. We're almost to the 37 mark. Anyways, so thanks for welcoming, welcoming us both. We have two daughters, two son-in-laws, no grandchildren. That's why I'm preaching on prayer. All right? I'm getting old. I need some grandchildren. Please pray. All right. <laughs> so if you brought your Bible and you have it electronically, turn with me in, in a moment to a couple of passages, and I'm going to focus in on one big question tonight. Where does, where does the true power 
of prayer come from? Where is the true power of prayer found? And uh, this I'm going to endeavor to answer through both a um, First Testament and Second Testament scripture. And it's been on my heart for a while. When Pastor Emma asked me and assigned this title to me, I thought, wow, this is so in line with what I've been dealing with in my own life. And so here I'm not a preachy kind of guy, and so I'm not preaching to you. I'm actually preaching to all of us, including myself, because I am not an expert in prayer. I don't come from a place of expertise. I come from a place of learning, because we learn about prayer all the time. Before I get into the text, and it'll come back up on the screen in a moment, I really want to talk about prayer in the fact that we, we often think that prayer goes unanswered unless we get immediate results. And that's not true. Prayer is, is heard by God the moment it's uttered from our lips or, or expressed from our soul. We uh, tend not to, to concentrate on prayer with a relentless approach or a relentless pursuit. We give up too easily, don't we? We sometimes think, this is not working, let's try and do this our way, and we take control over situations rather than submitting to God. And then, of course, the third part is repetitive practice of prayer can sometimes start out really good. You go to a revival, or you go to a, a seminar, or you go to a retreat, and you get before God, and you say, God, I'm going to wake up at 5.30 every morning! I'm going to pray for an hour! And you do that for about two days. <laughs> and on the third day, you kind of sleep in, and you think... God, I'm going to get up at 6.30 every morning. And, I'm going to, and it slowly gets worse and worse. And then sometimes you don't even get up. <laughs> you sleep through the whole day. No, that's not true. Let me, let me give you a personal, uh, real-time illustration, a story of how prayer has awoken in my life and how power, the power of prayer was made real to me in a moment where I desperately cried out to God. A couple of years ago, I was asked to be a speaker uh, for us, uh, several conferences in Poland, Ukraine, and in Crimea. Uh, we never did get to Crimea because that was when uh, Russia had moved in and there was uh, a fierce fa uh, battle going on in Crimea against the Ukraine uh, forces and the uh, Russian forces. So we actually ended up on the border town called Mikhailov. And the pastors that I was speaking to came up from Crimea and joined the ones from uh, the Ukraine. So there was an auditorium filled, pre-COVID days, filled with people. And I was teaching and, and speaking um, on principles of leadership and, and church health. At the end of the, the, um, uh, the chat, the talk, I asked people to come for an altar response. And I had an interpreter, we'll call him Dimitri, because that was his name. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyways, he was following me around. Every time I'd go somewhere, <laughs> he'd follow me, and, and I'd talk, and he'd talk in uh, Ukrainian and, and in Russian. He was translating in two languages. Uh, and so at the very end of this incredible altar time, uh, Dimitri looks at me. People had started leaving and going home. He looks at me and goes, you, you man of God, you pray for me. And I said, sure, Dimitri, absolutely. What would you like me to pray for you about? He goes, no, no, you man of God. You ask God, then you pray. I go, I think this guy's got me wrong. Like, I am no super giant spiritual guy. I have no clue what to pray for. So in that very moment, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, need to, I need to hear from God. I need some sort of divine revelation 
to come into my mind. And, and I need to, to pray for this guy with authenticity. He's expecting God to show up in this moment. So I did everything I could. I put my Pentecostal face on, you know, and, and I'm asking God, please, Lord, give me a word. Give me some sort of an idea of how I can pray for this guy. So I had my eyes closed. I'm asking God. And in that very moment of desperation, I get a mental picture in my mind. And I'm thinking, this is really whacked. But I'm going to give it a go. You know what the mental picture was? It was a picture of a university classroom. It was an auditorium that was tiered. And it had hundreds and hundreds of students in this auditorium. And on the back of the board, I saw the periodic table of elements. So I made out that it was a science or chemistry class. There was a lecturer. There were students. And all I could think of was that perhaps, maybe, Dimitri was having a problem between logic and faith. Maybe he was trying to figure God out, like people figure out science or, or try to bring logic to faith. And so I took a huge chance that day, feeling that I had asked God for a word. This picture came into my mind, and I said, Dimitri, um, I just want you to know that I really feel that you might be having a battle between logic and faith. It's a 14-inch problem. It's a problem between head and heart. Because sometimes you can't figure God out. You just have to believe that he's true and authentic and real. He began to cry. He began to have tears come down his eyes. So I reached out and I started praying for him. I said, God, I just want you to come into Dimitri's life. I want you to fill him and just anoint him today. And just as I started praying that, and I'm not exaggerating, he began speaking in tongues. Now, he started speaking in tongues halfway through three or four lines you know, of syllables he didn't understand. He stops. His eyes go big. And he looks at me and goes, what's this? <laughs> and I said, Dimitri, this is what God wants you to, to understand. That you can't figure this out. This is not something you're going to figure out with your head. This is something that happens in your heart. This is your soul praying out to God in a language that you can't figure out. Don't try and figure it out. And he started bawling and bawling. I held him. Those were the days before COVID where you could actually hug people, you know, and they could sweat with you, you know. And uh, now it's just so wrong. It's ick. I was in a supermarket and somebody sneezed and everybody went like that, you know. It's just a weird world today. But anyways, he began to cry and cry. And God filled him with the power and anointing of his Holy Spirit. That day, my entire prayer life changed. I began to realize that, that although that was an immediate result uh, situation, that the power of God comes through our obedience, even when it seems ridiculous. So the story goes like this. At the end, after he's had an encounter with God like I can never describe in words, he says to me, this is right after... He's done experiencing God. He said, Ken, how did you know? And I said, how did I know what? He goes, how did you know that I'm a biochemical engineer? I go, I thought you were a translator, man. <laughs> like, no, no. He said, there's a nuclear power plant just three kilometers up the road. I'm actually a biochemical engineer. 
The only reason I'm here translating for you is because I can speak three languages. I go, well, I didn't know that, but obviously God knew that. God knew that when he put that picture in my mind that I was going to pray for a biochemical engineer and that he was going to do something powerful in this guy's life. You see what prayer does? Prayer, when you open up your heart and you ask God for knowledge, wisdom. I didn't know I was going to operate in a word of knowledge that day. Had no idea. I don't usually do that. I'm actually quite an ordinary guy. <laughs> but on that day, God drops this supernatural word in my heart because I pray a simple prayer. I ask God, please help. So the power of relentless prayer, that's where I'm focused today. And I've got two texts that I want to unpack for you today. First is found in the First Testament, the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 62. It's probably something that you have not really linked with prayer often. Because we always go to the prayer scriptures when we talk about prayer. But this, let's read this one together. Isaiah 62 verse uh, 6 to 7 says, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen... On your wall, they will pray to the Lord day and night for the fulfillment of his promises. Now get that. I even highlighted it on the text. You're praying not for your own needs and greeds. Okay? You are praying for the fulfillment of God's promises. Pastor Emma, that was an amazing song you led where we were praying for the revival of this city. That's the promises of God, that I'm going to awaken a nation here. I'm going to raise up a people here who will stand with confidence and proclaim my name. In a city, in a town that is far, far from God. People have replaced God in their lives with all kinds of idols. And here we are raising up a band of people saying, no, we're going to go countercultural on this. We're going to proclaim God's name and we're going to wait on him like watchmen posted on the walls of a city saying, look, we see impending danger coming. We see the work of the enemy all around us. But no, we're not going to just sit back and do nothing. We're going to warn the people and we're going to proclaim the name of our king. Take no rest, all of you who pray. Take no rest. Give the Lord no rest until he makes Jerusalem the object of praise throughout the earth. You see, prayer is not for our benefit. It's not for the fulfillment of our needs and greeds. It's not for the fulfillment or the, the solicitation of religious goods and services. We pray so that the promises of God can be fulfilled. So that the work of God can be done on this earth. That's where the power comes from. That's where we engage in this supernatural outflowing of God's power. Not for the advancement of my own purposes and priorities. It's for the purposes of God that I pray. Now we've all prayed the emergency prayers, haven't we? <laughs> oh God, I'm running on empty. I need fuel. Just, I, I did that once, okay? I, I, I have to shamefully admit this. I'm so embarrassed to tell you the story. I was in Moose Lake, Alberta. Does anybody know where Moose Lake is? I didn't know where Moose Lake is. I'm driving through this wilderness in northern Alberta and going through this town called Glendon, and there was actually a fork in the road. Not a fork in the road, a giant fork. It was the home of the largest pierogi. Yes! Uh, yes, a pierogi on a fork in the middle of the road. Imagine that, you know. Well, the rental car that I was driving was running low on fuel. 
And so I did one of those prayers. Oh, God, I've been a stupid pastor. I should have filled up before I left. It's still another 70 kilometers to the airport. Could you just speak into being an Esso gas station? And I kid you not, I turned the corner, and there's an Esso gas station. I am not kidding you. So I have prayed those emergency prayers. And by the way, I was so hungry, I ran into this little Ma and Pa Esso gas station, and in their cooler was a sandwich that was, uh, could have been a roast beef, could have been turkey. It was kind of green around the edges, and so I was so hungry, I grabbed the sandwich, grabbed an orange juice, and then I prayed the second stupidest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Lord, help me not get sick. <laughs> And I gobbled down, actually I bit off the green parts of, the, of the, the roast beef, turkey, whatever it was, drank the orange juice and started driving. Around kilometer 35, my stomach started sending me messages. Okay, you've had that? Like lump and gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. I thought I was going to lose it all over this rental car, all right? So I prayed the second stupidest prayer I've ever prayed. God! Could you provide one more gas station that has a washroom? And I kid you not, there was a Shell gas station that came, I came around in a corner and there was another gas station. I, I ran in there, the, I knew I was in trouble. The gas attendant just lobbed me the keys to the washroom. <laughs> I think he had been through this before, you know. So I've done some stupid prayers. Friends, I've done that. But that's not the kind of prayer that this is talking about, okay? This is talking about authentic, persistent, powerful prayers. Let me give you a New Testament text that kind of illustrates the point. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is a parable that's sandwiched between a number of different parables, and it's Jesus teaching using a negative metaphor to teach his his disciples on the power of prayer, but to the point, the power of persistent prayer. And this is what it says. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who was a godless man with great contempt for everyone. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him down. Notice, remember Isaiah 62? Pray and take no rest. Pray and give the Lord no rest. Here in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching the same principle. He's saying, pray without giving up. Pray persistently. Pray constantly. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear near God nor man, the judge said. But this woman is driving me crazy. Have you ever had that? If you've got kids, you'll know what I mean. My kids, when they wanted to get my attention, they go, Dad, 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 Dad. You know how annoying that is? There was this little Facebook thing that went out that, a while back that had this little badger that came out of a hole, and it was, Ellen, Ellen, Ellen. You remember that? It's like that. When you repeat something long enough, you get so sick and tired of it. My, dad, my kids would go, Dad, Dad, Dad. Then they'd turn and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Finally, when they were at their extreme, they go, Ken, Ken, Kenneth, Kenneth, <laughs> Kenneth Andrew, Kenneth Andrew, Kenneth Andrew Russell. 
And finally, I'd give in because I was so worn out. So this is what that case was. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's just wearing me out with her constant requests. This is actually a negative metaphor that Jesus is using to illustrate a very positive point. He's saying, you're not going to drive the Lord Almighty crazy. He already knows what you need, but he wants to hear your voice. He wants you to engage in prayer, not for his benefit, for yours. He wants the constant communication so that he can be in touch with your emotions, your words, your intellect, so that he can be part of your being in this process of prayer. So the main point of that parable is even though the judge was unrighteous and still granted the, uh, the persistent widow's request, the actual point is how much more will your loving Father who is in heaven grant your requests and petitions if you constantly pray and let him know what you are needing? Here's the commonalities of prayer. We all share this. We all pray. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably prayed in your life and probably pray every day. Sometimes the extent of our prayers, prayers is, God, bless this food for the nourishment of my body. <laughs> you know, keep me healthy. Um, Lord, help me win lotto. <laughs> now, that's not a good prayer. But anyways, <laughs> sometimes we all pray. Most of us admit we don't pray enough. Most of us would, pray, would uh, admit that we need to pray more frequently, but most of us would admit that we pray more frequently during a crisis, right? Agreed? When there's something that's a critical in your life, we, end up, we amp up our prayer life quite a bit. But when things are going well, we tend to fall off that priority. Most of us would say that we believe in the doctrine of prayer, but it still remains a mystery to us. Why do bad things happen to good people? What happens when our prayer requests are not filled or when some are fulfilled and others are not? What's going on there? That's a mystery that we don't understand. Is prayer always heard from, by God? Yes. Is it always answered in the affirmative? No. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God just says wait. Wait. I've got something for you, but it's not quite ready yet. You might be in that place right now. You might be thinking, I've been waiting and waiting, and it's driving me crazy. What do we do when God remains silent? What happens when we pray and things actually get worse? <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? Come on, <laughs> be honest, okay? I've had it happen. I've prayed and I thought, God, you are a loving Father. You promised to answer prayer. But what I'm praying for is a, a noble and righteous request, but it just got worse. Prayer is a mystery. Samuel Chadwick said, The primary concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Did you know that? The enemy of our soul trembles when we bend our knee and we engage God in prayer. Because he knows that there is supernatural, unlimited, omnipotent power in prayer. Andrew Murray said, A pastor who mobilizes the church to pray will make the greatest contribution in history to world evangelism. Isn't that interesting? You know, our role, and I'm going to point this out in a moment, our role is to be watchmen who stand on the wall, who watch for the impending danger, who take note of the enemy's activities, and then warn people. Brenda and I were talking about this on the way out here to, to the church. 
we're thinking our world is winding down, is it not? I mean, we are definitely living in the last days. I'm not the person that will say that Jesus is coming back today or tomorrow or the next day. I know there are lots of books out there that are doing that. But I believe that we are very close to the return of Christ. And we as watchmen on the wall must engage world evangelism, but it actually starts with prayer. It actually starts with prayer. And I'll illustrate that for you in a minute. Charles Spurgeon said, I would rather teach one person to pray than ten to preach. <laughs> Prayer accomplishes a lot of things. Let me show you on the, on the uh, uh, PowerPoint here what most people pray about. This is a, a study done by Lifeway. They're a great organization. They do a lot of statistical analysis. They ask people what you typically pray for. What's the content of your prayer look like? People pray 82% of the time for friends and family. 74% for their own problems and difficulties. 54% for good things that recently occurred. So they actually praise God for things. 42% for their own sin and the forgiveness of that sin. 38% for people in natural disasters. 37 for God's greatness. Uh, 36 for future prosperity. That's the Lotto 649 prayers. 20% uh, pray for people of other faiths or have, of people of no faith. 12 for government leaders. Five for celebrities or people in the public eye, uh, and two for none of those. Our content, if you look at those, the three of those things are really selfish prayers. We're praying for ourselves. Very few people were, pray for the advancement of God's kingdom and world transformation. And I'm here to say to you that that would be one of the core purposes. So very quickly, I've got about 10 minutes or 15 minutes left. I'm going to just encourage you with three observations I've made from this text, okay? Number one, what's my part? What, what really can Ken do? I'm just a human being. I'm an ordinary guy. Pastor Ben gave me a huge title. I have a huge title, small ego. Really. I am no one special, trust me. I have failings. I have uh, quivers of faith at times. But what can I do? Well, I'm going to answer that. What's my purpose in all of this? What is God asking of me to do? And then the final thing, isn't persistence in prayer kind of like nagging God? I don't want to be a nag. I don't want to keep going to God for the same things over and over again. So God helped me to understand what it means to be persistent in this place. So first, What's my part in prayer? Well, let me remind you of verse 6, this, the verse I read. Oh, Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your wall. They will pray to the Lord. Prayer is not a spectator sport. It's not something you watch happen. Many years ago, I was pastoring in Surrey, and I had a multi-staff uh, that came together to pray early in the mornings. Not every day, not five days a week, but we used to have a 6 a.m. prayer. No one's good. I don't get beautiful at 6 a.m., all right? This takes time, all right? This takes a blow dryer. This takes lots of time. 6 a.m., I'm not at my best, all right? But I would drag myself to the church, and I would pray. And every so often, my children's pastor, she'd fall asleep praying. This is how she'd do it. She'd put her head down on the table like this. Because that was the holy posture of prayer. Because no one can tell you're sleeping if you got your head down like this. But the key trigger point was I would look across the tables and I would see drool coming down out of her mouth. I knew she was sleeping. And so what I would do as a loving, caring 
gracious pastor, I would go and I'd flick her ears, all right, <laughs> and wake her up. You should see that girl jump, I tell you. She would come right back and start praying. And she would go from dead sleep to, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> Fake it if you can't make it. All right, so it's not a spectator sport. It's not a, a sport for, or a, an engagement of solicitation. We don't just ask God for goods and services. We ask God to fulfill his promises. That's the key right there. It's the role, the part that you carry in prayer is the part of a sentry. A sentry is somebody who stands as a watchman or a watchwoman. Don't, be, don't feel that you've been excluded because of your gender. It's gender neutral. You are to watch for impending danger, watch and warn the people of God, watch and engage evangelism. That's the role. What is the role? It's an appointed role. The king has appointed you to do this. The role is not optional. When God called you to be one of his children, he said, you should pray. You should pray all the time, in all occasions, for all kinds of needs. Never stop praying, because God never stops listening. The job description is easy. To patrol, to detect, to warn of impending enemy activity, to intercede before there's an attack. To ask God for power, to defend, to guard, to police the kingdom of God spiritually. So the spiritual application is the believer's primary role is not a solicitor of good and services, but a sentry who guards and protects. Let me move on. Ezekiel is a key scripture here to understand. I'm going to read it to you fairly quickly, but note it down, read it later in context. When, wa when, a, when the watchman sees the enemy coming, he blows the alarm to warn people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, well, it's their own fault if they die. Listen to this next verse. They heard the warning, but wouldn't listen, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their deaths. Wow! What an obligation God has placed on us as watchmen. What an obligation he's placed on us. He says, he is responsible for their deaths. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman accountable. Now, this is not a sermon to place a blanket of guilt on you. Because when I read that, I thought, oh, Lord, if I shirk my responsibility in prayer, I'm actually doing damage to the kingdom of God. So when I see the enemy advancing, I need to warn the people God has entrusted to me. Okay, None of us are going to be able to warn the entire world population, but we must engage the people God entrusts to us and warn them of the enemy's activities. Ezekiel 33 goes on, Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. God is saying, you're my voice. You're the person I've chosen. If you're in communication with me through prayer, then I want you not just sit here and not to sit in church, but to go from here and engage evangelism. If I announce that some some wicked people are sure to uh, sorry, if I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to warn them about changing their ways, then you will die. Then they will die in their sin. 
but I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will not be held responsible. Here I see a link, a New Testament link. I know this is a, an Old Testament scripture, but I see the link between the watchman and the witness. You see that? Do you see it? The prayer, the power in prayer comes from both being a watchman to the nations and to being a witness to sharing the good news of a God who saves, a God who transforms, a God who renews. So the role, stay in contact with the king, listen to what he's saying, watch for the signs of the time, intercede for the people he's entrusted to you, guard and protect and warn those. That's the role. That's the portfolio. A couple more things, and then I'll close. What's my purpose? I need a purpose, otherwise I'll give up in praying. Oh, Jerusalem, verse 6 says, I have posted watchmen on the wall. They will pray to the Lord day and night. What's my purpose? To fulfill the promises of God. Not to fulfill my own promises, not to fulfill my own uh, agenda, but to work on behalf of the king. It's a critical role. So my primary purpose in prayer is not to get what I need, but to fulfill what God has promised to say yes to God, to be bold. My primary objective is to expand God's kingdom on earth, to fulfill the will of God, to, to accomplish the purposes of God. Have you noticed in, in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, the primary statement there is our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not Ken's kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The secondary statement is give. Give us, forgive us, deliver us. So the common misunderstanding or the misinterpretation, it's a very narrow understanding of Mark chapter 11. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be given to you. This context has been misused so often by prosperity preachers, Preachers who want to get something out of others or out of God. And this is the wrong interpretation. People have, entire, have built an entire doctrine on this single verse about getting and receiving. But God's primary purpose is about fulfilling His promises. Pray every day, night and day, for the fulfillment of God's sovereign plan and promises. Last thing. Last thing. Jesus demonstrated these properties of prayer. Luke 22 said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup. Jesus is talking. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet not what I will. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was sweating drops of blood. He was in such anguish and terror because he was about to face crucifixion and being omniscient, all-knowing, he knew what kind of pain he was going to have to endure. And in that pain, he says, Not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great droplets of blood. God, your will be done. Not my will, your will. Your kingdom first. Help me, Jesus. When I was pastoring in Surrey... Um, I had the entire church, and I'm going to ask you in a moment,
to agree with me in this prayer. I had my entire church pray this prayer. Lord, what do you want me, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will? Some people even wrote it in the front of their Bible, and before they started praying, they would always start with that. Lord, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will in my life, in my church, in my family, in my job, in my city, in my neighborhood, in my school? What would you want to do through my life? How persistent should I be? Doesn't it feel like nagging when we see a scripture like verse 62, verse 6 in Isaiah? Take no rest, give God no rest until he makes Jerusalem the praise throughout the earth. How persistent should I be? Doesn't it feel like nagging God when I keep asking him for the same things? No, it doesn't. Let me say this to you authentically. No, it doesn't. God will never get sick of speaking with you. He loves you. He wants to be a part of your life. And he will never, ever get sick of hearing your voice. Billy Graham, he's gone on to be in heaven now. I met Billy once, actually. A group of um, denominational leaders got together and we were able to be with him before he died. And he was a great man, a real mentor. He said he was a praying guy, too. He said this, The process of prayer is more important to God than its product or its result, the result of prayer. God can accomplish his will with or without you. However, he chooses to partner with those who persist in prayer for their benefit. Their benefit is so that you would be empowered. This this topic that Pastor Emma and Ben have, have assigned to me is all about power. You want to live an empowered life? Fill it with prayer. Fill it with prayer. You will live an empowered life. Would you stand with me? The team's coming. They're going to sing and we're going to close. Prayer is not for, the God, not for God's benefit. It's for the empowerment of the intercessor's faith. It's for you. God doesn't need you to pray. He calls you to pray. Relentless prayer builds powerful followers, partners, participants, promise keepers, partakers. Can we do something here just before we sing? Can we all lift our voices? I know some of you are at home watching online, but maybe in your living room, in your bedroom, around your dining room table, you could pray this out loud. I know it's kind of hard to pray out loud sometimes when we're facing these COVID realities because we're so separated. But can we lift up our voices? Um, I don't know if you can go back to that slide and just throw it up. It's um, a couple before. There it is. Thank you. Can we just lift our voices? There's something really powerful that comes when we, we just recite this together. Are you ready? Lord, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will. Let's pray that first part again. Lord, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will? Now just hold steady. Just hold steady for a minute. God, prophetically speak. Speak to the soul. 
speak to the soul of my friends right now. Let your power be demonstrated right now. I get the sense that God is saying to someone here today, tonight, whether online or in this room, that you need to step out from the fear that has imprisoned you. The opportunity before you will not bring destruction to your life. As the disciple, Peter, stepped out of the comfort of a boat and took a few steps on the water, God would call you to take a risk and he will not let you drown. He would say, don't look at the wind and the waves. But even if your faith would falter, he will pull you up. You will not fail. You will not drown. You will be safe. Can we sing together? Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.